morning uh, and you got your Bible, you can open up to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. It's one verse I'm going to read here. One verse, and then we'll play the video after that, um, Lyle. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. One verse. Now, we have been, today is our last day in our series that we've been calling Distractions. Okay, distracted. What's been distracting you from more important things in your life? And I pray that this series has blessed you. I know it's been important for me personally. Um, we've been spending a lot of time in Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 42 and following. I've been preaching through that uh, a lot. We've just kind of been revisiting that. Today we're not going to be in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. We're going to be touching on this word priorities. And I'm going to try to unpack this a little bit for us. But here's, here's what I wanted to kind of make our... We're actually going to be in the Bible a lot today. We're going to be all over Scripture. I'm not just preaching one text. This text, Genesis 2 verse 15, I see as the text that kind of bleeds through um, all the other texts a little bit. And I'm going to try to make that show you how that kind of happens. But here it is, Genesis 2 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Let me read it one more time. The Lord God took the man, he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it, to care for it, care of creation. Let's listen to this quick video. stuff. It's interesting because we've been primarily looking at a lot of kind of what was even in that video. We've been looking at the kinds of distractions like our phone or social media, or at least I feel like that's a lot of the stuff that's maybe coming to your mind, okay? Whether it's your phone, social media, maybe it's TV watching, you know, binge watching TV, or whether it's uh, the way in which you use your free time or whatever it might be, the, the kinds of things that have entered into your mind that have been distracting you from even more important things. Today, we're going to look a little bit at something different, okay? And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at, and I've been really struggling with kind of how to say this, because it, it, today is, there's going to be times in today's message where I'm not speaking with full kind of authority. I, I'm uh, there's, we're we're going to look at some scriptures that talk about different vocations that you and I are sometimes called into. And when I use the term vocations, I mean the areas in which God calls us into where, we will, where we're called to serve and care for creation and the world. So an example might be a parent or a spouse or a uh, working as a student, uh, being a student and a learner, or maybe it's being uh, an American. These are different, a 
I'm going to use the term vocations for lack of a better word. Vocations or kind of places that God has called us into. And what I want to do today is I want to try, this is, this is where I'm not going to necessarily speak with full-blown authority all the time, but I'm going to try to prioritize them a little bit. And there's a balance within this prioritizing. But today is really meant to try to get you to wrestle with the different places that God has called you into and where are those things kind of on your priority list and have some of those things potentially gotten a little out of whack. Um, Now, at times there's a balance. I recognize that not everybody's been called, for example, into uh, being a parent. Well, that's okay. That doesn't mean that if you're not called to be a parent, that when I talk about it, that it's not necessarily still applying to us as a whole. We all are called to be, uh, at one point we were called to be a child. That's actually one of the things that it's going to make my list. But I'm going to prioritize these, and some of them, I'm not sure which one should be higher than the other. Some I'm more confident in, and some I'm wrestling with. So today's a little bit of a wrestling. All I'm going to do is try to bring up the vocation, look at what God's word has to say about it, and then kind of let you wrestle with it a little bit. Does that make sense? Okay. Can I pray quick? Because I'm nervous about this message. I'm a little nervous about how this could kind of go. Let me pray. Lord, help me not to be fearful, but to simply believe. Just like uh, my reading this morning around the disciples um, in the boat with you. Why are you afraid? Don't be afraid. Believe. And so even now I believe, God, that you will speak through me. I believe that to be true. And I pray that you would speak clearly. And as each of us wrestles with this word, your word, in maybe different ways, I pray that your spirit would open up our hearts and our minds to especially seeing where our priorities have gotten out of whack and and help us to be able to identify those things and then give us the courage and the boldness to take a step in the direction of maybe realignment. We pray this boldly in Jesus' name. Amen. The bottom priority, I only have 10 that I'm going to list today. The bottom priority, and, and I struggle even with this one a little bit. And again, this isn't like there's only 10. There's, we could come up with more or less, but these are the 10 I came up with today. The bottom priority is just the individual. You as an individual. Now, this isn't to say that this is some lowly thing. In fact, I start this way to highlight the importance of the other nine. Because you and I, as people who've been created by God, as individuals, we have intrinsic value. You have been created, you as an individual, were knit together. You were created by the God of the universe. That's an incredibly special thing. It's actually the only worldview that really offers intrinsic value to the individual. I'll let you wrestle with that a little bit. Our culture would maybe try to challenge me on that, but, but our, our culture actually would say that you have to create value. You have to kind of either discover it or find it or express it. You got to go kind of make it happen. For us, we are made valuable because we are 
created by God. We say this in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, right? We believe that to be true. And it's an incredibly important theological point that we live our lives by. It's the starting point, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God, right? I preached that recently. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created you and me. He's our creator. The individual is super important, but I want to just ask this question. What, what is our posture as an individual to be? Jesus says, the son of man came to what? Serve, not be served. So right off the bat, one of the questions we want to be asking ourselves, is my life more about being served or is my life as an individual more about serving? God takes Adam and he puts him in the Garden of Eden to care for it. To care for it. How are you doing? Just number 10. I'm on the bottom of the list here. Number 10. How are you doing with, with this idea of just serving? I'm talking to every single person in the room today. This one you are connected to. You might not be a parent when that one comes up, but you are an individual. You're a person. You've been created by God. And the little kids, all the way up through adults, we are, and, and what are we called to do? Not to be served, but to serve. So, just a bare bones starting spot. How you doing with understanding yourself as an individual, and how do you think about that particular vocation and what God might be calling you to do? Is your life more about serving or about being served? Number two, this one, I don't know where to put it, so I just put it at number nine. This one's weird. You'll be surprised this one even made my list, but I like thinking like this. This is my, this is my brain right here. You are somebody's enemy. You are an enemy. We all have enemies, don't we? We have people who don't like us. We have people we don't like, people who annoy us. The person who flips us off when they're you know, driving in the car. The person who says something mean to you at school. We all kind of have enemies. Now, this doesn't make most people's lists on something like this. But I was thinking about this. I was thinking about how important it is to Jesus when Jesus teaches us certain things about what it means to have a posture towards our enemies. The first text I'd look at is uh, Proverbs chapter 25. Here's what it says. Proverbs chapter uh, 25 verse 21 uh, through 22. If your enemy is hungry, give him some bread to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. The Apostle Paul picks up on this in Romans. If your enemy's hungry, give him something to eat. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Then Jesus takes this even kind of a step further in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, right? He says, pray for... I want you to actually pray for your enemy, love your enemy, pray for your, the persecuted, the one who's persecuting you. How are you doing with that? that that's a weird one. That one's a little funky, I know. And I don't know where to put enemy. I don't know exactly where to put it. This is where the priorities things gets a little bit, you got to hold it a little bit in tension. I want to move to number eight. 
And then this will start to hopefully make a little more sense to you. There's something about being part of a nation. There's something about being part of a nation. Uh, Romans 13 says this. This is national relationships. God has placed you in the year 2021 in a particular context. We live in Texas. You maybe live in Atascacita. You maybe live in Huffman. You maybe live in Conroe. You maybe live wherever you live. But we're all kind of in the same area. We're all part of um, the United States, most likely. God's put us here, and we're in this thing called, and it's interesting, because actually being an American is a bit of a challenge when you start reading some of this text. But look at Romans chapter 13, the kind of classic government chapter in the Bible. Listen to what it says. Romans chapter 13, I'm going to read verse 2 through 3. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval for he is God's servant for your good. God has actually instituted some, he's instituted governments. He's placed particular governments and people in authority in places to rule with the primary reason being exactly what he's talking about here, to, to inflict judgment upon those who are not doing well and to bless potentially those who are doing well within that nation. You and I, you and I are part of this thing called the United States. We're part of it, right? There's a vocational role that you have in that. I would go so far as to say things like voting. You should vote. You should call your senator up when you don't like something. You should run for office when you feel prompted to get into politics and run and serve in that particular way. Yeah, those are good things. Those are important things. You should try to understand issues. You should try to do, uh, try to convince people of things that matter to you or whatever it might be. That's not bad. You play a particular vocational role even in that. And actually by doing that, you actually are beginning to care for communities, nation, state, all those kinds of things. Those are important things to God. He's instituted it. He set it up that way. What's fascinating to me about this particular one is I see people, especially Christians, and I think it's actually this one, number seven here, or eight, or whatever we are. This one is the one that really kind of popped for me as the one of, of even thinking about this. Because I see people get so passionate about politics and what it looks like to be an American more than a lot of times other priorities in their life. I find that fascinating. I find myself sometimes uh, kind of verging into some of that myself. Now, you could argue something. I could even just see somebody's argument like, well, if you don't live in a free country, then all those other things are going to be bypassed and go away. Well, I hear what you're saying, and that's where there's some overlap with some of this, and there's times where we lean into one thing, uh, maybe over another, and I get that. 
I also recognize that even if, now follow me very carefully here, even if you live in a country, let's just say, that's completely terrible and tyrannical and the worst of the worst, which those exist, right? Even if you live in those places, Christians that, who live there are still called to the same things in the other vocations that we're going to talk about today. Does that make sense what I'm trying to say? The, 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 the Christian who lives under a terrible government, let's just say, or whatever, is still called to, well, okay, one of them is parenting, I'm going to get to in a second, to be a Christian godly parent. That doesn't, that doesn't stop. That call by God for that person doesn't just end just because the government side of things changes. Does that make sense? So all I'm saying is, let's just think about some of these priorities. You're an individual. There's this thing called even potentially being an enemy of somebody, and we're called to respond in a certain way. It's fascinating that Jesus highlights that. And then we're part of a nation, and that's important. And we shouldn't minimize that. I want to move to the next one. This is number six. Closer relationships. I didn't know how to break this one down, so I just kind of added a bunch into here. Because, again, you might have to wrestle through some of this. Closer relationships. A, a friend. You're called to be a friend to somebody, right? You're called to be a neighbor to somebody. You guys have neighbors. You have people who live next to you. You have people who live across the street from you, who live down the road from you. We have neighbors. We have friends. You've been put into context where you have a job, you work, right? You go and you do the same thing day in and day out. You're a, you're a teacher. You're a police officer. You're an oil field person. You're all the stuff that we do day in and day out. This one, again, has some balance to it. I could see, I could see somebody who gets so caught up in their job that they actually aren't able to be a neighbor to somebody. They, they're working so much that when they get home, they don't have time to have a conversation with a next door neighbor and they never get to know their name. And years and years and years goes by. That, in my opinion, is problematic. You know, Jesus says, now the, the word, you know, neighbor what does this mean exactly? It doesn't necessarily mean next door neighbor. But Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, with everything. Love God. And the second, love your neighbor as yourself. Right? How many of you even know your next door neighbor's name? Uh, yeah, you guys don't even have neighbors that raised your hand. You live out in the boonies. You live up in Cleveland. I'm just kidding. Here's a couple scriptures I want us to look at. Um, look at Proverbs 27. Psalm Proverbs 27, verse 10. This is, a, this is just looking at a friend. What does it look like to have, be a friend? Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend. Notice the relationship stuff that's there. Do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who's near than a brother who's far away. 
Ephesians 6, this is uh, talking more about our jobs. I love how practical the Bible gets when we start to unpack it in a practical way. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Don't, don't work for eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Notice here, here he begins to talk to employers. Masters, do the same thing to them. Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. He speaks really uh, specifically to our work and our jobs. And when the teacher goes and teaches her class, that is, that is care for creation. When the guy goes out into the oil fields and pumps the oil in a, in a safe way, right? Not spilling it all over, but doing it in a safe, as good, good a way as possible so that that oil can do whatever it does so that I can pump gas into my car. That's care for me. That's service to your neighbor. Now, you got to go read, you know, listen to my sermon last year on vocations where I unpacked all this. God is working behind our vocations to care for each of us. That's an incredible thing. That's a beautiful thing. So when you wake up, you know, my dad always talks about it. When he wake, my dad's a lumber salesman. He sells lumber. He's always kind of like, well, it's, how big of a deal is it to sell lumber? But he's kind of, over the years, begun to understand that when he sells lumber, he's helping people to be able to put decks on their back porches and build houses or do whatever they're doing. That's God working those things. Those, when people say, thank you so much, God, for this new deck. Well, that came through my dad. Does that make sense? Because he sells lumber. Or thank you so much that I know two plus two is four. Well, that comes through your teacher. God working through these vocations. And I think sometimes we get some of these things, some of these priorities out of whack. We care so much more and it's interesting. Our culture teaches us that we as individuals are the most important. And notice where I put it. Our culture teaches you, if you want to take, take five hours every night and binge watch, you should be able to do that because you deserve that. Because you're the most important thing. Or get on, get on to Facebook and make sure you let everybody know how important the Second Amendment is or something like that, which I'm a huge Second Amendment guy. But go blast everybody even at the expense of losing a neighbor or friend. You see what I'm trying to do today? It's just getting you to wrestle with some of this. And getting you to see that God's word, God's word doesn't say, okay, here's number 10, here's 9, 8, 7, here's the chapter you go to today, Seth. No, but he does talk about these things. And his word does speak to us about these things. And I think we need to wrestle with it. Uh, here's here's um, these closer relationships, whether it's a neighbor, a friend. Uh, I think of some of you, stu some of you students. 
You don't have jobs right now, but I'm looking at some of you kids. You're called to the vocation of being a student. And what that looks like to be student right now, or maybe you're in college, how do you study to the honor and glory of God? You ever think about that? You ever think about how you studying is actually a way in which you are bringing honor and glory to God and even caring for creation itself? Do you see that? So that might be the vocation that you're called into right now. Okay, let's keep moving. Number six, or number five. Number six? Oh yeah, sweet. Family, relatives. Look at this text from 1 Timothy. I want, to, I want you to see how practical God gets. Um, 1 Timothy. Listen to what it says here. Chapter 5, verse 8. But if anyone, listen to how strong this is. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Doesn't it feel like that's ramping up? Doesn't it feel like it's ramping up a little bit from something like love your neighbor, your next door neighbor, and make sure you get to know their name and build relationships with them and care for them? Verse 16, if any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. This is our grandparents. These are cousins. These are relatives that you are, you've been put in the context of. This is my wife, for example, every Tuesday at noon, calling her grandpa, just calling him, just talking for a half an hour, and she's committed to just talking to him every Tuesday. This is my sister, when my grandparents were alive, sending books to my grandpa who loved to read. This is just doing the basic care of the people that God's put into our kind of close proximity called family. Are you doing that? Are you caring for the people who are closest to you? Are you honoring them in that way? With a phone call, an email, a letter? You see how it says there, if we're not even able to care for our families our grandparents, or whatever it might be. What business do you have with other stuff? I mean, Scripture actually goes so far as to talk to elders, like my job as a pastor, and says, if you can't deal with your own family well, you, shouldn't be, you should have nothing to do with managing a church. God has some serious stuff to say about the things that we prioritize in our life. And how we think about that. Uh, the next one is simply being a child. Being a child. Listen to this. Family, parent, uh, family being a child. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Every single one of you in this room is a son or a daughter. Now, your parents might have gone already, but a lot of you still have your parents around. What does it look like to honor them? What does it look like to love them? To obey them? What does that look like? 
Do we even talk to our mom anymore? You know, I get challenged with that. I get so busy with my pastoring that I'll catch myself often asking, man, have I even called my mom lately? I gotta call mom. I gotta make sure I just call her just to touch base and just say I love you and you know, that's all I gotta do. What does it look like to honor my dad? Still, I'm, you know, I'm an adult. I got five kids of my own. What does that look like to still honor them and respect them and love them and care for them? What does it look like for, you know, my grandparents are gone now, but what does it look like? When all of a sudden my mom, I'm making this up quick, but my mom gets cancer and is dying up in, in, in Wisconsin. She's not. But I'm saying, what if that happened? Now, as I have to wrestle with, okay, has God called me here to Texas? Or is God calling me to go move to Wisconsin where I pick up a job, right, as a whatever, digging ditches, because that's pretty much all I could do other than pastoring, <laughs> digging ditches somewhere so that I can care for my parents. I'm not saying there's an answer that says, yeah, then move to Wisconsin on this day. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you'd have to wrestle with that. I'm saying there might be something about honoring my parents that takes precedent even over what I might be called to with my job. I find this one actually, and the next one, parenting, to be a bit of, there be tension. Because the next one is parenting, which is, it follows. It's actually interesting. It follows what it looks like to be a son or a daughter. The very next line in verse four, four, fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And then it goes on to talk about jobs. And if Paul has any kind of prioritizing here, he actually is prioritizing being a son and a daughter, even over being a parent. I'm not saying that's what he's doing. All I'm saying is that's fascinating to me. And I do find it to be very tempting to idolize my kids so much that I'd maybe even leave other things out. Like calling my mom. Does that make sense? I'm just trying to get us to wrestle here. And I do think right now, little Verity, our little baby, I mean, I, listen, I got to prioritize little Verity over my mom and dad who are healthy and doing what they're doing up in Wisconsin. They, she gets way total priority. But is there a day where Ver, Verity gets older and she's good and now my parents are, you know, up in a nursing home or something and I need, I need to be there or I need to bring them here? I got to, I don't know. I love seeing some of you do that because <clears throat> I'm watching even in our church people do that and I'm learning and I'm growing through some of that. And some of you haven't done that. You've made the, <clears throat> some of you may be feeling guilty today. It's interesting. I want you to hear this. It's interesting because all the first nine of these, the all nine can really start to leave you feeling guilty because it's all actually law. All the first nine, and I'm going to get to the, you know, number, number one, but all the nine are actually law. They're going to drive you to a place where you're like, I don't know if I'm doing it well enough. I don't know if I'm doing it. No, you're probably not. You're probably screwing it up all over the place. That's why let me just keep working us to one. But let's keep learning kind of as we go. Does that make sense? So being a, a parent, fathers, <clears throat> Fathers, 
Uh, in Proverbs 29, verse 15, it speaks directly to mothers. Mothers that would abandon their kids, bringing disgrace on mom. Now, the next one I do see, I think I can speak this with a little more authority. And I think I'm going to speak pretty directly to some of you. At least it speaks to me. And the next one here is a spouse. Having a spouse. And I think having a spouse, uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 says, And a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. I see, and I sense it in sometimes my own life, I sense oftentimes a focus on kids over my spouse. Do you, fe- do you feel that, parents? And that one I think we actually need to be careful with. You know, in that Ephesians text when he's listing it out, he talks marriage first, then being a child, then being a parent, then job. And if, listen, my kids are all going to grow up and leave, which is exactly what they're supposed to do. A man shall leave his father and mother. That, that's what is going to happen. Or they're going to pay rent, <laughs> or, or that one. One of those two. I mean, they can do whatever they want to do, but they'll be paying rent. You can stay as long as you want, Ariana. But there will be some money coming to daddy. No, I'm just kidding. Well, we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. I love you. You can stay as long as you want, yes. Uh, are we prioritizing our kids over our spouse? You know, it's amazing to me how many, and I haven't been a pastor very long, but even the kind of counseling that sometimes I'll give where, where, where kids get older and leave the house and now husband and wife look at each other and like kind of, who are you? you know, they haven't invested in each other. They haven't walked with each other uh, the past 18 years. And now they're like, oh my gosh, I don't even want to be with you because I don't even know who you are anymore. I know that's a a challenge my wife and I, we constantly are trying to work at. How do we make sure we're investing in each other even as our kids are demanding and we need to be that parent and we need to walk with, yes, yes, yes. But man, are are we doing the spouse thing? Are we making sure that's a priority because... Because listen, and this is why I think it gets elevated, and I, this one I speak with more authority because we are one. Jackie and I are one in a way that we're not. That can become a challenge. That can become a challenge. Well, how are you doing with that particular priority? You know? Um, now, you might be single, You might not be married. And it's interesting because the Bible talks a ton about that too, right? The Bible talks about what does it look like to be someone who actually, because it's not like these 10 or the 10 that you're all called into and you all have to do these 10. No, it's simple. Paul says, he's like, man, if I'd actually rather you be like me, Paul says, don't do the marriage thing and let those other things be the highlighted big pieces and lean into doing those things really, really well. Because when we get married, all of a sudden, some of these other things are going to take precedence over some of this other stuff. So the Bible speaks to all those of you who are single out there too. And he says, man, you have a particular gift, even in the midst of your singleness. 
Don't be afraid to lean into that. That's cool. That's cool. Where are you at with these priorities? How screwed up are you? I don't know. Uh, this one here, we got to keep moving here. These last two, and these will be fast. The second to the last one is to be a follower of Jesus. To be a follower of Jesus. Jesus says, come follow me. Come follow me. Learn from me. Galatians says it like this. Galatians says, walk in step by the Spirit who now lives inside of us. The Spirit of God who's given to us. Walk in step with his leading and his guiding. Follow Jesus. This is what we're called to. We're called to follow him, to go where he goes. Jesus says stuff like, take up your cross and follow me. That means, what does that mean? Well, it means a lot of different things, but one of the things it means is you're going to suffer. You're going to go into hard places. You're going to go to places you don't want to go. You're going to go to places just like Jesus had to go to the cross and Jesus prayed, Father, please let there be another way, but not my will, your will be done. And we pray the same prayer and we're like, Father, I really don't want to go into this, but your will be done. Now, this one might surprise you a little bit, that follower of Jesus I'm connecting to a little bit more law-focused. There's gospel here for sure, but I don't know about you, but when I reflect on if I'm following Jesus well, I often times come up with the answer, no. I oftentimes feel like I'm not following Jesus the way he'd have me follow him. And I feel so often like I fall short and I fall short and I fall short. Whether it be disciplines of being in his word, whether it be disciplines of, um, of, of leaning into loving my neighbors or friends or even getting these priorities into a, some kind of order that seems biblical and makes sense and that he'd be calling me to. But I oftentimes feel like I'm a failure, which is why the number one thing on here that I have on here, and I'd even say there's maybe one right above it, and I'll explain what I mean. But the number one thing on here is that you would understand that you are a child of God. You are a child of God. All the other stuff, all, every single one of those bottom nine can be either taken away from you or you can really screw it up and mess it up. Being a child of God is something that cannot be taken from you. It's the only thing. You can be the best parent in the world and a kid die. You can, be the, you can be the best spouse in the world and still have a spouse that turns their back on you and walks out. You can be the mad daddy caddy at your job. And yet everybody else around you is just incredibly toxic and there's, how do you break through to that? You can 
go vote the right way. You can go do all the right things. And still the nation just keeps going plummeting. Everything on there can be stripped from you, taken from you, and, 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 and removed from your life. Everything. There will come a day where I either stand over Jackie's casket or she stands over mine. It's just the way it is. And this is why, guys, the, the Christian biblical worldview is so essential. Because our culture looks at all that stuff and says, yep, 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 all the way up the list. Even following Jesus, I don't meet too many atheists or agnostics who say, yeah, don't listen to Jesus. Go ahead, you know, follow some of his teachings. That's fine. But when it comes to an understanding that the only way in which I can be part of God's family is through his work and his activity, and I'm simply called to be his child. I'm simply made his child through his work, through his death on the cross, through his resurrection. And nothing can change that. It's, it's happened. It's done. Jesus on the cross says, it is finished. Nothing can ever take that from you, ever. It's yours forever. This is why so often when I, I, I actually have on my business card some of these priorities, and, and one of them is, is, I have at the top, child of God, and my next one is follower of Jesus, because sometimes I'll even get so stressed about, oh God, I'm not following you the way I need to follow you. And I'll need to just stop, hit the brakes, and remind myself, okay, I am sucky at this right now, but I am a child of God. That I am, and nothing can take that from me. Nothing. I simply am because he has, his word has been spoken into my life. He's gifted me the gift of faith. I am. I just am his child. He's laid claim to me. I'm his. That's for, that gift is for each and every one of us, and that is something the world and no other worldview offers. It's the only worldview that offers you an identity that is yours and is secure, that's not based on you and your work and your activity or anything about you. It's about him. And that's for each and every one of you today. Listen to the text. First John, and this, this starts to push us even a little bit more to maybe like a 1.1. This is fun. And I'm just going to tease you with it and then drop the mic and walk away. First John, listen to what it says. First John, chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, look at that word, I love that. Such a loved per child of God. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. That's that mic drop. I don't know what that exactly means. I don't even know exactly what that looks like. But that's our hope. That's our hope. When one day when he returns, we shall be like him. 
love children of God. It can never be taken from you. You are his child. He loves you. If, you don't, if you've never heard that before or you've never believed that before and that's just kind of stirring in you this thought that, oh yeah, I'm a pretty good parent or I'm a pretty good child or I'm a pretty good son or I'm a pretty good daughter. Or, I'm pretty good at my job. I'm pretty good at all this stuff. But you know what? All those things could be taken from me tomorrow and I want something more secure. If that's you today, if that's you today, and you want to talk about that, let's talk about that. Let's have that conversation. Because you being a child of God is offered to every single person in the room today, every single person watching online. The rest of us, as we reflect upon these priorities, just wrestle with those a little bit. Take a picture, take a picture, whatever you want to do, and just, yeah, where are these priorities in my life? Where have some of these things gotten whack out of whack? Why is it so easy for me to talk about um, why is it so easy for me to talk about voting laws but it's a challenge for me to share my faith with somebody? Why is that? I don't know, might be a little different for some of you. I find that fascinating. Why is it easier for me sometimes to lean into my kids? And not spend as much time with Jackie, my wife. Why is it so easy for me to, to pick up the phone when somebody calls and, oh, it's another emergency, something's going on. But when my kids need something, I want to stay in the garage. Why is that? Wrestle with that a little bit. Think about that a little bit. What are the things that are distracting you? And some of the distractions are not things that you're supposed to walk away from. You're not supposed to walk away from your job probably, but maybe you're working 80 hours a week. Maybe that's not what you're supposed to be doing. You see what I'm saying? We can't walk away from these things. But they could maybe be in a different priority order. Let's pray. Lord, I knew today was going to be a little weird uh, because I knew it's a little different message, maybe more teaching or more wrestling, maybe a little less pointed. And so I think we had to do a lot of work today in our own hearts and in our own minds. I pray that, that your word would have stirred in somebody, um, maybe something that would get them to hit pause in maybe a spot and, and maybe reprioritize some things in their life. God, we, we do know that you are our priority. When that lawyer asks, what's the most important thing? You say, love God. And the second, love your neighbor. We know it's that simple. And we know that in, in, in us parenting, in us spousing, in us jobbing, in us neighboring, in us friending, in us um, voting. We know that there is, a, that we are loving you and we are loving our neighbor. We know that. We know that it goes back always to this Genesis 2 text of, of caring for creation, serving and, 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 and serving others and caring for others. But we also know, Lord, that we always fall short in this. 
We never get our priorities fully aligned. And just when we do have them aligned pretty good, we get them out of line again. And so that's why, God, we thank you that you've saved us, that you've called us to something, to be your child, to sit in your arms. That, that being something that can never be taken away from us. We praise you for that, Lord, and we look to you for that. We love you, Jesus, and we trust in you. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.